you want to grab a Bible, we're about halfway through our service, so we're going to move into a time of teaching. If you want to grab a, a pew Bible, just like I've got, uh, you turn to page 150. Uh, we will be looking at Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 6. We are in the middle-ish, about, about dead middle of, uh, of our series, God First. And uh, so there's a story here, I guess I should tell. Um, I asked Jesse to make some special slides for me this week, and she did, and we'll get to those kind of towards the, the middle of the sermon. And, uh, and so I, I said, well, maybe you should make the rest of them to kind of fit so that they're all the same design. And she did, and this is what she came up with. God, this is the font she used. And when I saw that font, I thought, Jetsons. I don't know why. I haven't seen the Jetsons in like 20 years, but I saw that font and I thought, Jetsons. And so the Jetsons will make various appearances because I think it's fun. And there's just so much unhappiness and seriousness and misery out there. Let's have a little fun with it this morning. If you haven't noticed throughout the, the set um, and the, sur- the, 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 uh, the scriptures that were read, the songs that were sung, we are focusing on the love of God today, and we cannot do that enough. Like that's, that's what this is all, all about. And I think with all the things going on in your life and, and all of the sickness, as you can see, is like cut us in about half the sickness of the weather and all of that. There's so much going on, we can lose sight that to say God first is to say, I love God, therefore I put him first. You with me? There's this great little text In John chapter 15, this is Jesus speaking, and we'll get back to Deuteronomy here in a second, but I wanted to start with Jesus. Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The Father has loved me, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And this last line is just just beautiful. Abide in my love. Carry it with you. Let it be a a part of you. If you've ever fallen in love with somebody, that kind of like kind of like puppy infatuation love, you're 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 carrying it with you everywhere to to this kind of uh, contagious extent where it's even maybe slightly annoying to other people around. That, That love is so intense that God is talking about here, and I think we lose sight of that because. As we read the Old Testament and as we read Deuteronomy, as we read these laws and these statutes and these things that we're, we've been talking about, we think of them as, as maybe harsh. We think of them as legalistic. We may think of them as God of, 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 who is just sort of waiting for us to mess up so he can sort of flick us off the map. But Jesus says that's not at all the case. That's not what this is all about. God has loved me. And I am pouring that love into you so much so that I want it to be something that you carry with you every day. I want it to be with you. I want it to transform you. I want it to excite you. I want it to be the the blood inside of you, the breath in your lungs. I want it to enable you to be the people who bear fruit. But the danger, the danger that Jesus talks about is that the love that we're supposed to have toward God and toward others can grow cold because of, of lawlessness or Facebook or uh, the news. This week, I, I, I listen to the news pretty regularly, and about 
Wednesday or Thursday, I can't remember which morning it was, I just had to stop. I was like, I couldn't do it. You know, I was just like, I can't. I can't listen to this anymore. We are just inundated constantly with lawlessness, with craziness, with bitterness, with arguments. And because of this, I think it draws us down. And we grow cold. Anybody feel that way? We grow cold. Cold to one another, cold to our kids, cold to our spouse, but most importantly, cold to God. There's another place where Jesus is speaking to a church and he's got a lot of good things to say about this church. This church is doing well. But he says, this is the thing that I have against you. You've abandoned the love. Didn't we become Christians when we sensed God's love for us? When we sensed that God wanted to be near us and we caught sight of that. And that turned our hearts toward God and we responded to his love and said, I want to be with you too. Wasn't that what started all of this off? We lose sight of that. And when we lose sight of that, I think we run into danger here of our love growing cold and our first love, which was God, falling away. And if I can do one thing this morning in this sermon, it is to inflame your love for God by recognizing or helping us all to recognize, helping us all to remember how much God loves us. And that this is all about drawing near to him and experiencing his presence in the community of faith. So looking at Deuteronomy, what does all this have to do with Deuteronomy? Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'll read the first few verses there. You can follow along. This is actually on page 151. I think I led you astray by a page, but 151. Moses is speaking. Just some navigation here. Moses is speaking to the people of Israel. And he says to them, Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules. Generally, we don't think of those as good things, right? Like, oh, well, here we go again. That the Lord your God commanded, oh, that's a great word. I love that one. How many of you love that? Commanded me to teach you, I'm already bored, that you may do them in the land that you are going over to possess, that you may fear the Lord. Oh, great. Right, wonderful. Fear the Lord your God. You and your sons and your sons' sons. That's too many kids already. By keeping all of his statutes and commandments, and again, which I command you, and again, all the days of your life that your days may be long. That's some good news. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. And here, we move into one of the most important verses in all of Scripture. For the people who are hearing Jesus, or hearing Moses, all the way to the people who are Hearing Jesus. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. It's very interesting that Moses begins with these words of statutes and 
rules and commandments and obedience. And then when we ask the question, okay, Moses, what's the rule? What's the statute? What's the commandment? He starts here. Love God. Love God. There's one thing that can change your life this week, one thing that can make your family life better, one thing that can make your marriage better, one thing that can make your relationship with your kids better, one thing that can make work better, it would be this, that you fall in love with God again. That the love of God is poured into you. You allow God to pour his love into you. You recognize the great mercy and grace he has for you, and you just accept it. That's one of the things about gifts, right? You have to take them in your hands and wrap them and keep them with you. That's a gift. The gift that we've been talking about this whole morning is this, God's love for you. As I was thinking about God's love, I was just remembering that. I was remembering what it was like when I first came to Jesus a desperate sort of teenager, uh, looking for meaning, looking for love, looking for something that mattered. And remembering that helps me to remember what all of this is about. And what's interesting about this text as we look at Deuteronomy, look at Moses, we look at this whole story, what is transpired so far. Let's kind of walk through it. So here we go. Walking through it. Chapter 1 of Deuteronomy. Moses calls, or God calls, Moses calls through God. God calls Israel out of their wanderings and to return to the promised land. Hey, celebration. Chapter 2. The reason that they have to return to the land and they weren't in it in the first place was because a generation before them refused to to enter the land because of fear. Then God, as they begin to journey back to the land, God uses them to to punish the wickedness, the evil empires of Sihon and Bashan, so they can see the intensity of God's judgment upon wickedness, and they don't forget it. That's that's the the, the point. Chapter 4, Moses warns them not to make his mistake. Moses, for those of you who may be new to church or not really familiar with the Bible, that's okay. We're glad you're here. Moses is kind of like George Washington to the people there. If anyone should be allowed to go into the promised land, it should be Moses. But because of the disobedience of the people and Moses' own mistakes, he says, listen, God's judged even me. So don't make my mistake and do not forsake following God. Then, after all of this, we get to some commandments, Ten Commandments. You remember those. We talked about those the past two weeks. Now, what should happen in the story should be an expansion on those laws. Like, that makes sense. I've given you the basic laws, the Ten Commandments, and now I'm going to expand on them and give you more details. You all with me? Makes sense? Give you more details about how to actually live out those Ten Commandments well. But that's not how the story goes. First, we have chapter 6. Love the Lord your God. And then we have chapter 7 and chapter 8 and chapter 9 and chapter 10 and chapter 11. And it isn't until chapter 12. In all of these chapters, God is talking about his grace, his love, his expansive goodness to them. He's reminding them of this faithfulness that he has had to them before he ever expands beyond the Ten Commandments. He says, let me give you a little taste, and now let me tell you how good I am. Let me tell you how much I love you, and let me tell you why you ought to love me in return before we ever get to the minutiae 
the details of the law itself. That's, that's good. That's grace. God's trying to help us understand that it isn't about a list of do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs. It is about loving the Lord your God and recognizing all of his generosity in our lives. You might remember Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? Do you remember? He quotes here, love the Lord your God. And then he quotes Leviticus 19, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you think Jesus is something doing, if you think Jesus is doing something disconnected to the Old Testament, you are absolutely wrong. He's reminding them of the God who has been with them from the beginning, calling to them from the beginning to love him so that he might bless them because there is a reciprocity of relationship. If I love my life well, I have the blessing of her grace. If I don't, no one's happy, right? Men, you with me? I hope you heard that, right? We, we understand that. There's a reciprocity of relationship. When there's love, there's blessing. And then there's an increase in love because of the blessing. And then there's more blessing. And then there's more love. And I can't jump that high, so I won't keep going. But you understand this on the human level of your relationships. It is the same with God. Because we are made in his image. God wants to increase our love for him. He wants to increase his blessings to us. He wants to be present and powerful in our lives. That's why when the person stands up and says, Jesus, what's the most important law? You've been talking for a long time. Let's shorten it. Jesus says, love God. And love one another. And if you do this, you've summed up well the law and the prophets. And so we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one or the Lord alone, depending on your translation. This is, this is the prayer, the, the confession, the statement of faith that a Jew in the time of Moses all the way to the time of Jesus and even to today will recite morning and evening. This is their good confession much to us, much like our Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, is our good confession. This is the confession. And I want to spend some time talking about the words of this confession. There are three really important words, and the first one is this, Shema. And this is what it looks like in Hebrew. Shema. That is, as you look at your Bible there, uh, of verse 4, your first word, Hear, hear, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. Shema is a word, as many of you know, some of you might not, but it is, it is a word that has kind of a dual meaning. I think I put this as a slide. I did. Good. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son, there's a whole list of, there's a whole sons back there. Any son? Everyone looks. Sorry. Stubborn and rebellious son who will not, if Esri was in here, I would have flashed it at her, but she's quarantined with her insanity in the nursery. Who will not obey, this is the word shema, the voice of his father, and though they discipline him, he will not shema. Listen. Because all of you who are parents understand, and we've used this illustration before, understand that when you say to your child, did you hear me? Nicole, 
You didn't mean, Ricky, did you hear me? It means, Ricky, why is your butt still in that chair and not taking out the trash, right? We understand that to say hear doesn't just mean to hear, but it means to create a response to what was heard. So that it isn't just to hear, but it is also to obey. And depending on the context, we, we translate it as like a listen or hear or obey. Shama, hear, O Israel. God isn't so much just interested that Israel hears God's words, but that by hearing those words, they would elicit a response in the people. And the response in the people wouldn't be motivated by judgment, but would be motivated by love, that that they would know God's goodness and respond in generosity to them. Just as if you're in a good relationship with your husband or wife or friends, maybe even you can ask them to do you a favor, and they gladly do it. They gladly do it because they love you, because they want to respond to you, because they want to make you happy, because they want to bless you. And this is the same reciprocity of relationship that we have with God, where God is calling to us to love him and to respond to his commandments, not out of bitterness or out of duty, but out of the response of love, because he has been, as we sang this morning, so good. And so kind to us. Beyond measure, beyond our deserving, he has blessed us. And so we respond. We don't just hear, we obey. And this is key to Jesus' teaching. There's this wonderful little passage. It's one of my favorite, uh, favorite passages in all of Scripture. Because I think it is the hardest passage in all of Scripture. And if you know me personally, you know that just is part of my character. Jesus has great crowds in Luke 14. They've surrounded him. They're all around him. And they're not all around him because they love him. They're around him because he is a sight to behold. Because they're looking for some action. They're, 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 they're there because there are other people there. there there's, not, there's not a sense of love. And so he begins to push hard on it. Do you really want to follow after me? Is this something you really want to do? He uses the illustration of a man who wants to build a tower. He says, doesn't the person who wants to build a house, let's put it that way, if you want to build a house, don't you kind of map out how much it's going to cost so that you don't just lay the foundation, put the frame up, and then run out of money. No, you, you count the cost to make sure that you have what it takes to finish building the house. Otherwise, you look like a doofus, right? Or your family's very cold if it's Michigan. And Jesus says, don't we do the same thing? If you want to follow me, you need to count the cost. You need to make sure that you're ready to follow after me because as our series has been going, I must come first. And he uses some very biting examples. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, that's a way to thin your crowds out. Now, does he want you to throw rocks at your kids? No. Or your wife? No. Or your husband? No. Or or your father or mother? No. What he's using is he's using extreme language for you to understand that he has to come even before your own biological obligations. And he drives that home saying, yes, even your own life. Will you love me more than your life? And then he says, those who would come after me must take up their cross. 
They must be willing to lay down their life for me, for others. They must become like Jesus himself. Jesus is representing to us not just that that he is going to die on the cross for our sins, but that he is calling us to follow in that same self-giving love, that love that God pours into us is so self-effacing, so consuming in its humiliation that what we do is we lay ourselves down for one another. That's what love looks like. It looks like Jesus. It looks like a cross, and that is a hard, hard word. And Jesus ends it with this line, a line that you probably have heard. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, I'm going to assume, I feel rightly, but that everyone in the crowd who heard Jesus had ears. Jesus is not concerned with earless people. He is hearkening back to the Shema. He's saying, hearing me isn't enough. It's not enough to have ears. It's not enough to hear the words. You need to take them in and ponder them and ask the question, Am I really going to be first? Will you hear the word of the Lord and let it turn you toward obedience? Turn you to act? Turn you to response? Hear, O Israel, the Lord. If you're looking at your text again, this is the name for God. Ooh, we're going all over the place. God has a literal name, and it's obscured by the capitals in your text. Yahweh is the name. This is what it looks like in Hebrew. Uh, and it is the verb with a little notation that he will be, or I will be, or I am. In the ancient world, in the ancient world, all the gods had names, which makes sense. You might be familiar with names like Zeus or Hercules or things like that, other gods that are sort of more famous uh, today than the gods of the ancient world, but the gods that would have been around, uh, around the Israelites, especially the Israelites of this time, would have been called the Baals or the lords, the lords of this mountain, the lord of that mountain, the lord of Peor, for instance, the Baal of Peor. There was Molech, which is a word meaning great king, Marduk, who is calf of the sun, and then you have Yahweh. So when Moses asks the burning bush, the presence of the living God, we don't even know your name. God says, he will be, I am. We often translate it in the first person, I am. Which is so important when Jesus uses that same language in the New Testament, when people are standing around him and asking, well, who are you and what are you after and what are you about and where did you come from? And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. It isn't that Jesus had bad grammar. It is that Jesus is attaching himself to the name of God, that he might be seen as the representation of God on earth, the second person of the Trinity, which we also sang about today, which tells us something important. There is no human word that we could attach to God other than to exist. That is how big, that is how other That is how massive, that is how powerful, that is how almighty God is. There is no human thing that we could point to and say, this is kind of what God's like. No, there's nothing like that. God says simply, I am. I am. The God who calls us to hear him, the God who calls us to obey him, is that I am. The God who is eternal 
The next word. And what shall we do with this God? Shall ahava. It's just kind of fun to say, isn't it? Say it. Give it a whirl. Ahava. It's fun. I like it. It's a word that means love. This God who has just been revealed to us is the one who we should hear and we should obey, the, the Yahweh, the, the God who, we, who is, who just is, says, this is what I want from you first. Love me. Love. I use this word a lot. Ooh, we just lost everything. I don't think I did that. Well, as she's working on it, there's this great little verse in Jeremiah 13, or I'm sorry, Jeremiah 31, 3, where God says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. This is the word ahava. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness. And this is my favorite word in the Old Testament. And I talk about it a fair amount, but it is chesed. And this word is translated uh, everlasting faithfulness, everlasting love, covenantal faithfulness. We use a lot of different words to, 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 to attach it. But there's this sense of faithfulness that is God is faithful to us. While at the same time, God has this emotional, everlasting love. Both of these are are brought together in Jeremiah. And I really love that picture because it helps us to understand the kind of love that God has for us. The same kind of love that we are to have toward God is the same kind of love that God has towards us. And the same kind of faithfulness that he's calling to us out of the Shema to, to, to hear and to obey that we hear coming from God. Oh. As you can see. The same kind of faithfulness that we are called to with God is the same kind of faithfulness that God has towards us. Again, what God is calling us to do to him is something that God has already done for us. God always acts first, which is one of those incredible things. I, I liked the, the song that we sang here this morning, the, that new one, that, uh, and I'm not going to be able to say the words because I don't remember. I, there's no shadow you won't light up, no mountain you won't climb up, Kick down, and then some lie you won't tear down. I love that, all of those. That God is so pursuing us that all of these things, God is acting first. Pursuing us. Calling us to love him. Reminds me of this verse. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Have you heard this verse before? Everyone's heard this verse, right? Now these three uh, remain, oh, I guess I didn't quite put it that way. But So now faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. Because faith is something that we have when we don't, we don't see it. Hope is sort of similar. Uh, we, we have hope. But when we see God, when God comes, when Jesus returns and he sets all things right and we experience his love and his fullness, all there will be is love. There will be no more faith. There will be more, no more hope because those things will no longer have any meaning for us. The only thing that will be left is love. And so all of the things that we're talking about today in pursuing love of God and love of neighbor, all of this has eternal weight. It has a gravity to it because it is never ending. 
God is calling us to love him. God is calling us to love one another. And all of this is out of God's good grace. So let me, uh, let me try to apply this then. What, what can you do? Because what I want you to do is I want you to experience the love of God. I want it to sort of inflame and be a part of your life. And so I, I want to recommend this to you. I want to challenge you this week, morning and evening, to recite the Shema. As a part of your prayer time. Maybe you'll couple it, um, as I intend to, with the Lord's Prayer. And you could pray beyond that, obviously. I'm not saying say this and then be done. But take a moment, take a deep breath in, take a deep exhale, clear your mind, take all of your emotion that you have and press it towards God and recite these words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then take the you out and add I. I will love you, Lord, my God, with all my heart, and all my soul, and all my might. Take a moment every morning this week to say it. And before you lay your head down to the pillow at night, take another moment to recite it. Let this become the rhythm of your prayer life this week, the rhythm of your week, that, that twice a day you are remembering your love for God. Because if you are here today, I venture to say that every single one of us, whether it is a big flame or a little flame, has a flame of love for God in us. That is why you're here. God has called you. He's moved in your life and he said, I love you. I care about you. And you've responded to that in some way of saying, I want to be where God is. I want to be with his people. I want to hear more about him. I want to sing to him. Whatever it is that brought you here today through the snow and all of the, the flu, the walls of flu bug that are out there, whatever it is that brought you here today, there is love of God in you and I encourage encourage you to inflame it, to draw it out, to add, add wood to that fire. And here it is right here to recite the Shema. As we come to a conclusion this morning, I want to read one last passage and then we'll, then we'll, we'll sing a song and then we'll pray and, and we'll be dismissed. One last passage here out of the, the book of Hosea. This is one of those books that... Um, that we cling to because of the image that we have of God's great love for us. Hosea pictures us, God's people, as uh, unfaithful. As people who uh, have not lived up to the commands and the statutes and the rules. Who have forgotten our love and let it grow cold. Who have abandoned the love that was at first. And we're... we're we're brought into this story as kind of the adulterous wife and God who is the faithful husband who is reaching out to us. And it says this, And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband and no longer call me my Lord. For I will remove the names of the other lords from your mouth and they will be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant in that day with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish bow and sword and war from the land. And I will make you to lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness 
and in justice, in steadfast love and in mercy, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know Yahweh, the Lord. This is available to every single one of us today. The love of God is open and waiting. It is reckless. It is never ending. It is always available. No matter what you have done or where you have gone or how far you have fallen or how broken you are or how depressed you are or how, how deeply you feel like you've offended God or how deeply you think you can't be saved, whatever it is that is separating you from God is in your mind, not in God's. His call to you is the same yesterday, today, and forever. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And this is the hope, not only of the world, but of each and every one of us here today. And if you need to meet that hope and have a conversation about that, I invite you to, to find an elder. They'll be at the wings over here, and they'd love to pray with you, to talk with you, to cry with you, to walk with you. You are not alone. The call is available to you today. Let the love that you have for God increase. Let's stand as we sing praises to him.